curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. 2019 finds 10 states plus Washington, D.C. with legal access to recreational cannabis and 33 states overall with some form of legalized marijuana. A recent poll by the Pew Research Center found that 62% of Americans, and more importantly, 74% of millennials, said they supported legalization. My home state of Michigan legalized the product by ballot initiative in 2018, and the tidal wave of voter support suggests more states will become home to legal weed in the years ahead. Regardless of your position on voter sentiment, it's clear this is an exploding market, and we thought it would be interesting to spend some time discussing that market and the ways the promotional marketing industry is responding to demand for our medium from those conducting business in that space. So, joining me today from the ASI Fort Worth show is none other than Michael Beach, founder and CEO of Denver, Colorado-based Highline Promo, the industry's only supplier focused exclusively on cannabis-themed products and paraphernalia. Good morning, Roger. How you doing? Thanks for having me today. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you joining me. You know, you've been in the industry a bit, but uh, with business background at Unilever in Gillette, as much the same as many of us, it was a bit of a rude awakening in making that transition away from what we used to call corporate America and into right. the marketing space, right? No doubt. Well, the promotional products industry is something totally unique that I had no awareness of when I was working for the big corporate America and uh, Procter and & Gamble and, and, um, and, and Unilever prior to that. But my background and my, my true inspiration, my true dr- drive has always been uh, more on the supplier side. Uh, having come from, you know, uh, consumer product goods suppliers. When I landed in this industry, I came in as a promo- as a uh, multi-line rep. I've been in the industry for 10 years, but I've always wanted to be a supplier. It's always, it's always something I've had on the back of my mind in terms of 
how am I going to get into this and, and, and how do I do it without, uh, you know, without falling on my face? And uh-huh. if you look at the industry, as you can imagine, there just about every, every product that fits in this industry is represented right now. In some way, shape or form. Absolutely. And, and usually in more than some, more than multiple ways in, in most, most cases. So it's always something I've been thinking about and I'm driving down the road, calling on my customers back in September and um, listening to the news on, on uh, Sirius XM and, and they're talking about the fact that Canada had just legalized cannabis. And I thought to myself, it just, it just clicked. I thought, well, my gosh, here's an industry that's booming. It's, it's projected to be $55 billion by the year 2025, you know, six years from now, wow. it's going to, it's going to shadow over the, the NFL industry is $10 billion. Right. Um, you know, to put it in, in perspective, we can talk about that a little bit later, but when you compare this industry and the opportunities in this industry to other industries that we call on in promotional products, things like sporting goods or wine and spirits, those, those, those industries, sporting goods is a $45 billion industry. Spirits are $58 billion. Wine is $65 billion. So they're projected. Oh, it's going to be right up there. It's going to be right up there. It's going to be huge. And the opportunity for us as promotional products, people in the industry is, is going to be, uh, how can we take advantage of that? How can we get on board and, and make some money in this industry that's just going to explode over the next few years? You know, like we were talking about before we uh, clicked record, you know, I, I know there may be even some people that will see this as the topic of the podcast and we'll just skip it. For the, for the sake of, you know, for whatever viewpoint they may have on the industry that we're talking about. But setting that aside for a moment, because if those people skip, they're not listening. But for the rest of us who are spending time sort of pondering the notion of our own participation in this and, and the explosion, really what I want to focus on, Michael, is this idea of recognizing an unmet need, which is really, really doesn't happen very often in our industry, uh, marketplace being created from scratch. And then more importantly, I guess, the, the idea of being able to arrange our efforts to be able to meet that unmet need. And since you've gone through that process firsthand on your own in, in trying to do that, I really wanted to have that be the context of the conversation. So you okay with that being the way that we'll frame what we'll talk about? Let's go. All right, cool. Sounds great. Let's get into it. So, yeah, like you said, like, you, you know, you'd been in this space for a while, even though you, you do have some background outside of the industry. I mean, you, you Mid-South has been around for, for a while now. So this, you've had time to evaluate the industry. And it wasn't like you came into the space specifically to sell uh, cannabis-related product. You, you've been building relationships and establishing yourself as being a credible partner for the distributors in your geographic territory. So... Um, so there you are, uh, you're driving down the road, they, Canada just legalized it, and you say to yourself, holy cow, Batman, I got to do something. The beauty of entrepreneurship is recognizing the idea, and there are so many people who are driving down the road, who are listening to things very similarly to the thing that you were listening to, who say to themselves, what a great opportunity, and that's the end of it. Well, I've done that before, several times. <laughs> several so times. so how, do you, how do you make that leap when... I mean, now we're talking about product sourcing. So how did that journey happen for you? In my personal situation, I've always been pretty comfortable and pretty happy doing what I'm doing. I, you know, I'm, a, I'm naturally a sales guy. I, I enjoy being around people and, and making things happen. And so I've always been real happy with what I do. But 
what, what, uh, what inspired me to get off of my hind end and actually do something with one of my ideas is the fact that I'm 55 years old. I can't count on the stock market to, to protect me through, through retirement. Um, I've got to do something big and I've got to pretty much do it now or I don't know how I'm going to retire. And so that was my inspiration right there. Pretty, pretty simple stuff. That's a good um, one. So you're like, okay, the time is now. And there's a road from I'm going to do it to I have product in my hand. I have uh, sell sheets with pricing. Right. Talk, talk about how you were able to, to make that journey from uh, multi-line rep to actual product sourcer. Yeah, it was pretty, really pretty incredible. I think I told you this before the podcast started that uh, I really feel strongly that this has been a God-driven thing for me. Um, the whole thing, the whole process, right from the from the idea coming into my head to to the motivation to get the things done, and then from there, uh, the the really serious part is the, is figuring out the know how how to how to make it all come together in three months because I wanted to launch a PPAI. Wow. Uh, I've got a pretty pretty strong business background. I've got two brothers that are also in the industry. I, I didn't really in bring them into it too much. In in that three month period, I um, I basically did everything. I hired a company to um, to put together a brand identity for me, um, a basic theme, a, a call, a, a tagline, and 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 a website and my catalog. And uh, started working with a sourcing agent over in China to identify the products that we wanted to start with. Pretty quickly, we were able to identify, I didn't want to do too many. We, we came up with 10 that we wanted to start with. Identified those products, had those products uh, logoed up with my logo to show uh, the distributors what they're going to look like as branded products. And um, brought the, actually went over there to China over Christmas break, left on the 23rd of December, came back on the 2nd of January. And had my products in a bag, finished up all the odds and ends and came to PPA on January 15th and launched the, launched the company. And we've had just amazing response from just the show. It's been incredible. That is, that is astonishing. I mean, <laughs> it, it typically takes a supplier line a year to develop the product, to get the marketing materials together. So when you say like there's a higher power that's guiding you in this process, it's amazing to think that. I'm thinking even what we did at Promo Cares and how fast we were able to go in just a year's time. But to think that you were able to like, they didn't legalize marijuana in Canada till like what, September, I think, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Yeah. That's, 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 that's incredible. That really is. That's incredible. That is I, I sold my first order the other day and I thought, how in the heck am I going to invoice this? And somebody says QuickBooks. I say, okay, download QuickBooks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, you're 55, I'm 49. You know, you and I grew up in an era where the the notion of marijuana being legal was blasphemy. Mm -hmm. uh, stigma oh, was a stigma attached to this. Like, what's the range of reaction you're getting? You remember what the kid was in high school that was smoking dope out by the gate when you walked in. You know, you didn't want to associate with that kid. But it is not like that anymore. It's um, I, I can't explain why it is, but the rate of acceptance of, of marijuana has skyrocketed uh, to 64 percent of the people polled in the United States or through a poll. 64 percent of the people were in had no problem with legal marijuana on a on a recreational basis. Some other facts specifically pertaining to um, the promotional products industry. You know, 75 percent of the distributors out there have never done any type of uh, an imprinted recreational marijuana uh, type of a product. 
Uh, 85% say they would be allowed to do it though. And, and only 15% say that, that they haven't thought about it. And out of those 15%, only 5% said that they wouldn't do it. So there's a lot of people that say I'm opposed to it, but as I talk and as I introduce to myself to people and say what I'm doing, 90% of the time they look at me and they say, really, that's cool. And they start asking questions about it. So that I think if you're in a group situation and you, you've got, you, you may have some, some people that are afraid to jump in and just ask questions and get excited about it. But on an individual basis, I think uh, those, that statistic of 65% of the people rings pretty true with my experience and what I've been talking to. There's very few people have had any problem with it. Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. I guess, um, you know, ours is such an in interesting industry in that we have a, a, a disproportionately large part of our sales force skews older mm -hmm. and, and a disproportionate amount of our buying community now is skewing younger. So our need, want, desire, appetite to be able to bridge that gap towards being able to credibly and reliably sell the products that you're offering to the marketplace that probably would demand them the most really represents sort of this crucible of the generational shift that we're seeing go on in our space. I'm curious, have, as you're going on distributor office visits where you're going to do a line review, do you have to ask them for permission to, to show that part of what you do? Or like, how, how has that worked out when, when you've been trying to do that? Not necessarily in a trade show booth. Well, you can gauge interest. And I'll tell you what's happened with me. I put a post on Facebook for my uh, rep group and my customers started calling me about it. So I've got a lot of, I've gotten a lot of phone calls coming in. I haven't really been too proactive on marketing or, or doing really the only thing I've done is just, is just attend PPAI. And the word of mouth has been incredible. I've got, um, I've got, you know, several projects that I'm working on right now. And like I said, I just invoiced my first small order, but it was an order uh, last week. As far as age demographics go, I had a conversation with a, with a lady on the phone last night, yesterday afternoon, 64 years old from the DC area. And she's been a rec uh, medicinal user for uh, the last few years wants to know exactly how she can get on on this and and make some money in this industry. So I, I don't know that there's necessary. I mean, people don't like to think that there's a bunch of old people out there smoking dope, but I think there are. <laughs> <laughs> and that really was what, <laughs> what it boils down to at the end of the day is that the public perception versus individual reaction. And I think, you know, it's funny, I've asked two different questions and really, your response has been consistent in the way there's what people think and what people do. Exactly. And there's a big difference between those two things in many instances. But to me, in a lot of ways, selling today, the paradigm has flipped to the point where people will find you if what you're offering them is what they're looking for. And instead of trying to convince everyone that what you sell is for them, better today to just broadcast what you sell and let the people who would want it find their way to you. Well, here's the deal, Roger. If I could sell teddy bears and make enough money to retire, I'd do that. But as it stands right now, the opportunity that I see it is cannabis and participating in that industry in some form or fashion. So what I'm offering to the industry is the ability to do that. And if you're interested in making money like I am, you know, you, you may have some, some, some hesitation about this all. But I think as you, as you start to do it and get into it, um, it's really not that big of a deal. All of my supplier lines are 
so encouraging with this. Um, you know, I've had to talk to my supplier lines about the fact that I'm going to start my own supplier company. And I was really expecting that to go south quickly. Right. But uh, it hasn't. Um, everybody is, is supportive of it. And, and it's just amazing to me that that negative stigma is just not there. Yeah. I, and it's, it's important, I think, for, for us to hear that you're not standing there all by yourself on the show floor with nobody coming and talking to you. Your, your line is as interesting as others. All right. So we're at happy hour. We're having beers. You know, I'm a distributor. And I say to you, hey, Mike, pitch me on how it is that I should go approach the marketplace when it comes to selling this kind of product. What, what would be your suggestion to the distributor who might be giving some consideration to the possibility of taking this to market. Okay, so the first thing that we need to know and understand in the promotional products industry is that there are laws against advertising for the people in the cannabis industry. And they're not allowed to advertise on television, radio, public uh, medium. That leaves promotional products as one of the very few ways that in most states, these dispensaries and growers are able to advertise their business. Now, I was in Las Vegas for PPAI and I saw cannabis advertising everywhere. So it's obviously not true in not in Nevada, but in, in every in normal state, uh, there's <laughs> there be laws and rules against uh, in any type of advertising on this. As a matter of fact, if you go on my website, highlinepromo.com, I've got a, I've got a page on there called references. And there's a link to an advert. There's a link to an, uh, an article on there about the, the challenges that these, these folks face uh, advertising their companies. So we've got that going for us. And then the second, I guess the, the way you want to approach the industry and target these people is really to start with the growers because the growers are the ones with the deep pockets. They're the ones that are supplying all these dispensaries with their product. And typically in each state, there's two to five growers, I think. And so you start with those guys and, and then you, you get into the dispensaries. And I've just been honestly learning as I go. Again, I started in September, so I'm just now starting to get to the point where I'm developing a, a you know, a distribution and sales strategy. Other than the fact that I want to be in in the promotional products industry, and I'll tell you what I've talked to people and told them to do, and it seems to work be working pretty well is find the people that are calling on these dispensaries and these growers already and get to know them. They'll know who the, the people are. Um, I have, you know, one person who knows a, a guy who dis, who walks around to all the dispensaries and the growers and distributes a, a local newspaper that they all, that they all uh, leave on their counters. And she's developed, she's worked with me to create some flyers with pricing and we've put it together and she printed out a couple of hundred of those and gave it to the guy and he's dropping them all at all the, uh, the dispensaries around, uh, around the area. So yeah, there's all sorts of ways to do it. Uh, you know, and, and it's kind of a learn as you go type of a thing. Well, to me, right. And I guess if there's any parting thoughts from my side of the fence in this discussion is when you're growing from a $0 billion to a $55 billion marketplace over a very short period of time, you know, we always talk about the 1% rule in promotional uh, marketing. So, you know, 1% of $55 billion has the potential to be the, the entry level point of what our marketing medium spend would typically be in that space. But mm -hmm. to the point when a lot of the other competing avenues for those dollars don't exist in this highly regulated space, one might suggest that perhaps the 1% rule might not apply here. It might be two, it might be three, it might be five. And so when you really start to consider the totality of the dollars available in the marketplace, really, Michael, what you're saying is, 
It's developing market knowledge. It's developing marketplace intelligence to the point where you can read and react to the changes in what will be a rapidly evolving marketplace and setting, again, whatever moral position you might have on that. There are just, from the pure dollars and cents perspective, there are going to be far fewer places that you're going to be able to see that kind of opportunity than there. So it, I, but, I, I likened it to the, to the internet and I missed out on the internet. I worked for a, I worked for a company and was actually doing uh, some of their e-commerce stuff and, and did as an, as an employee and thought, well, geez, you know, if I had an online shop, I could really make some money sat on my arse. I was 34 at the time. So it wasn't, mm-hmm. wasn't that impressing to me, but I liken this in my lifetime, this opportunity the only other opportunity that I've seen in my lifetime that's equal to this is the invention of the internet. The invention of the internet. Okay, well, I think we should probably just leave it right there. And okay. say, if you can't, right. you can't find something as big as the invention of the internet in another place, <laughs> then perhaps this is the place that you should be looking. So, Michael, I really appreciate you coming off the show floor and spending time with, with the audience to give them a chance to consider what you have to say. And I really appreciate the time and we will talk with you again real, real soon. Well, thank you very much, Roger. I look forward to it.